Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Hello and welcome to Lux Digital Church. My name is Mark and I'm the lead pastor here at Lux. And man, Lux, it's so good to be here with you tonight on a Wednesday night. I uh, I can't tell you how much I now get to look forward to our Wednesday night live services. I really genuinely do. I look forward to be able to gather with you. There's always so much energy and a ton of excitement and a ton of fun and a lot of great laughs that we get to share together on a Wednesday night. So thank you for being here. And if you're here for the very first time, whether you came in with the raid earlier you just stop by, you're invited by a friend, or you're watching on someone else's PC, you're sitting beside one another and you're just here for service tonight, I just want to say thank you for being here. I really appreciate that you're here. If you're here for the very first time, you're our honored guests, and we're so glad that you decided to hang out with us. Even if it's only for a chunk of the service, thank you for being here. And if you're joining us later on over on YouTube or on podcast or as a VOD, then thank you for being here as well. Thank you for investing in your spiritual journey and taking some time to spend with us today. We thank you as part of our on-demand family. We love you. We care about you. We pray for you. Please let us know that you're out there and come and join us on Discord or say hello in the comment section. Just come out and let us know that you're there. We'd love to minister to you, hear your story, and welcome you into our family. Before we dive in tonight, I'm actually going to pray, which isn't something that I typically do at the beginning of a service or at least at the beginning of a sermon. Um, very often, I hold that off to the very end of the sermon because we just got done going through a time of prayer. At least if you're here live with us, you know that. But I want to pray and I want to ask God's presence to come into this place. So if you wouldn't mind, if you're comfortable, no matter where you are, would you bow your head and close your eyes and pray along with me? Father God. I ask that your presence would be known. I pray that it would lay heavily upon this studio. I pray that your presence would be thick and known inside of each and every home, office space, wherever anybody is. That they would experience the very real presence of God where they are that you would make yourself known to them and that my presence here would be but smoke in comparison to yours. I pray, God, that my words would fade and that your words would become present, that my presence would be minor and that your presence would take over today. In your name we pray. Amen. Tonight, church family, we are in part three of an eight-week collection of talks where we've been talking about things Jesus never said. And in this, we've had a key statement that we've used throughout the entire series that says this, the things that Jesus didn't say are oftentimes just as important as the things that Jesus did say. The things that Jesus didn't say are oftentimes just as important as the things that Jesus did say. And we've looked at a couple of things that Jesus didn't say. And really what this is, is it's a look at culture and the way our culture is and some of the things that are really common inside of our culture. And then we're examining those things and we're comparing them to the teachings and the ways of Jesus. And we're asking ourselves, is there any congruency here? Are they the same in any way? Is there any parallels between the ways of the world today and the things that we believe and the ideologies that we buy into and the ways and the teachings of Jesus? Or are there things in our world that we can embrace and other things that we need to reject and instead pick up the ways and the teachings and the life 
style of Jesus, his worldview and the way that he saw things and the things that he taught about. How can we follow him better in the world that we're in today? And it's not a critique on culture. We're saying culture, bad, world, bad, Jesus, good. Don't look at, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of things in our world that are less than glamorous. And there's a lot of things in our world that aren't great. But it's an honest look at the ideologies and the sayings and the culture shaping things that form our worldview in the world today. And we're asking ourselves very simply, do these things actually line up with the teachings and the ways of Jesus? And so we've looked at a couple of different things over the past couple of weeks. And if you're listening tonight and you've missed those, go back and check them out. They're on YouTube and on podcast. And we'd love for you to get caught up with where we are today. But today we are going to jump in with a three word phrase that is very common in our culture. And I want to see if you can guess it. So throw some ideas up in the chat as you're throwing up ideas. I'm going to share a couple, one of the other sayings that is really common right now. I find myself using that I don't really like at all. And it's, uh, it is what it is. I don't know if you've heard that phrase. I'm sure that you have. You've probably used it three times today. It is what it is. It's one of my least favorite phrases. And actually I was just given a book not that long ago by a guy named Justin something and, uh, St. Bear bought it for me called it is what you make of it. I highly suggest that you check it out. But the one that we're going to talk about today is a three word phrase that's been used to get out of a lot of awkward situations. It's used to be able to sort of deflect when anybody's being aggressive towards us. It's a way to not enter into an awkward conversation with somebody. Hi, Aki. Uh, awkward conversation with somebody when you think that they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing. It's a way of, of sort of being like, you know what? I'm going to remain a little bit hands off here. I'm, I'm not going to go and get myself involved. And uh, it, it's also the same really way of saying, what my mother taught me whenever I was a kid in some ways, which was mind your own business. The saying that we're doing is, and Gabriel got it, Gabriel Godson got it, it is, you do you. You do you. The comment, you do you, is something that has come out of my mouth probably a good bit over the course of the past couple of years. It's become pretty prevalent. You'll hear people talk about it all the time. You'll see someone sort of disagree with somebody, and then on the, the backside of disagreeing with them, they'll say, well, you know, but you do you, you know. Um, they'll say, oh, you don't, I don't think that you should do that, but hey, you do you. It's a way of getting out of awkward conversations for us. It's if somebody comes up to us and wants to impress upon us their belief system or their political agenda, and they want to try to slide people over to their way of thinking saying well hey man you do you is a way of politely saying i'm not going to be convinced by your argument if you have a friend who's destroying their lives or destroying their marriage or destroying their friendships you do you is a polite way of saying i think that you're screwing up but I'm not really going to get myself involved, you know, no judgment, do whatever you want. Uh, and the you do you <laughs> is used in a wide variety of ways to basically get us out of conflicts and engaging with people in ways that we don't want to. But it's become a whole lot more than that. The you do you mentality and that saying has become a mantra in many ways for the culture that we live in today and the coming generations. This concept of you do you is sort of this judgment free living. It's sort of the epitome of actual freedom, right? That I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, as long as whatever I'm doing ultimately makes me happy and doesn't hurt anybody else. And even honestly, sometimes as if it does hurt someone else, but as long as I'm still happy, then you do you, bro. It's our way of not entering into a difficult conversation with a friend or a family member. It's our way of backing out 
It's the polite way of looking at somebody and saying, leave me the F alone. Uh, you do you has become the saying that has allowed us to justify a whole range of actions. It's at the front end of sexual freedom. It's at the front end of political freedom. It's at the front end of being able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. So the simple question that I had when I looked at the phrase, you do you, is, is the concept of you do you. Uh, I only wear the one is greater than 99 shirt now. I do only wear this, at least on the on the weeks that I'm preaching, right? <laughs> I wanted to examine it and say, is there anything that's accurate to this concept in our culture, to the ways and the teachings of Jesus? And as it turns out, the answer is kind of yes and kind of no. When I looked at the Bible and I began looking at what Jesus actually taught and what he actually said, I came across this powerful passage from the book of Matthew. And there is this string of teachings that are sort of put together where you get almost the cliff notes in Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, three chapters of the Bible. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, and it's actually copied over in some ways into the other of the four Gospels as well, or the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which capture Jesus' life, his teachings, his ways, and the things that he did, including his death and his resurrection. And portions of the Sermon on the Mount are in different places, but Matthew gives us the most complete grouping of cliff notes as to the things that Jesus likely taught over hours or maybe even over days to a large group of people on these grassy hills along the Sea of Galilee, right outside of a small fishing village called Capernaum. And there's this passage in there that talks about judgment. Very specifically, it talks about how we interact with others when it comes to judgment. Because realistically, the comment, you do you, is a way of really, we're saying, hey, no judgment, man. Hey, you know what? Whatever you want to do, I'm not going to judge. And, and really, honestly, in our culture today, the concept of not being judged is a really big one. I even remember as a kid and I had friends who either didn't go to church or who did go to church. And if I would confront them about something, I was oftentimes sort of uh, faced with this, well, you can't judge me or don't judge me or who gives you the right to judge me. And when we look at the passage that we look at today, it would actually seem like Jesus totally and completely agrees with that. So let's look together at Matthew chapter 5, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 in the NIV. Only God can judge me. St. Bear, literally, I had a buddy who wanted to get a tattoo of that all on a ribbon around a dagger one time. Like, that's what he wanted on his body. You know, teach there. You do you, bro. Um, okay, really quickly, let's read this passage. It says this, do not judge. This is Jesus talking. Or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I want to start by breaking down this passage a little bit piece by piece. And I want to start by looking at the first three words. Do not judge. Do not judge. 
I remember in high school, I had been invited to youth group in middle school by my buddy and my buddy uh, at some point in high school um, came to me excitedly with this passage from Matthew chapter seven. And he read those first three words, do not judge. And then he framed that to look at the entire rest of the passage and sort of with bated breath and an excitement in his heart, he told me about how God asks us and commands us not to judge. And he was right. That God is ultimately the judge of the living and the dead of what we do and what we don't do and what's wrong and what's right. It's God. And so he brought this passage to me and excitement told me about it. And this really kind of became the mantra for his life afterwards. This do not judge. He ended up in a lot of strange places in life because of it. But I distinctly remember him coming to me with Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 5 in mind. We read it together. And this kind of became the thing that he lived out, initially at least as a follower of Jesus, and eventually as someone who doesn't follow Jesus anymore. But the question is, is that accurate? When Jesus says in the very beginning of this passage, do not judge, is that all that he's really saying here? As Christians, we know that the church is oftentimes accused of being judgmental and hypocritical, and it seems like Jesus is condemning those very things through this passage. So should we never judge anyone? Is you do you actually in line, running parallel with the teachings and the ways of Jesus? Is it actually kind of a biblical and scriptural worldview? Is it actually something that we should embrace and that we should live out? And in some ways, kind of. So I did a little bit of digging. I'm not one to look up a ton of Greek words, and I know maybe that makes me a bad pastor or a bad preacher, but I find that the Bible, as it's been translated, to be extremely enlightening and helpful with oftentimes out having to go back to the original Greek. But I really wanted to know what the word judge was in the original Greek, and it means this, krino, krino. So when it says in this passage, do not judge, it's do not krino, or you will be judged krinoed. For in the very same way that you crino others, you will be crinoed. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And the crino word crino has a wide variety of meanings. And there's probably somebody in here who's like, Mark is literally butchering that pronunciation. But I listened to it on a Greek Bible website, and that's how they pronounced it, crino. The word crino can be used to mean a lot of different things. It can be used to mean to separate to divide, and it can go as far as to mean or, or to make a judgment of in our mind, to hold an opinion of, and it can go as far as to mean to make an official declaration in a court of law, to literally judge somebody, to determine their fate. Quino is actually used throughout the Bible in a wide variety of places, and we're going to look at a couple of them tonight, but at the root of the word crino, it means to separate which is really what we do when we judge people, right? We separate them. We categorize them. We get them in specific places in our brain and we put people in buckets. We crino them. And we're all really guilty of this in one form or another. You might be here tonight and you can see me and you're like, wow, guy's sweaty. He must be out of shape, crinoed. Or uh, I hate churches and this guy looks like he definitely comes from church, crinoed. Or you might be looking at somebody who's walking down the street and you're thinking, man, they look a little rough around the edges. They must not have their life together. Crinoed. Oh, wow. That person looks like they really have their life together. Their hair is perfect and they have five kids in the car. And I don't know how she did it today. Crinoed. 
We crino people. We judge them. We are quick to separate. In the core of that word, to separate, we are quick to separate people. We separate them from us, and we separate them from others, and we put them into buckets very quickly. See, the problem with judgment isn't really about what we speak to people. It's about what goes on inside of our heads. And Jesus says, do not judge lest you be judged. So the full context here isn't just do not crino. It's do not crino or you will be crinoed. Do not judge lest you be judged by the same measure that you use to judge others. Here, Jesus isn't saying, don't judge people, but be careful when you do. Because the same way that you measure people and put them in buckets and categories in your brain, the same way that you categorize people and you separate them, same way that you're done with people or you're all about somebody, is the same way that God will, crino, separate you. It's actually kind of scary. It's not really a passage about not judging. It's about being very careful when we do. And the truth of the matter is most of the problems in our lives don't actually always come out in person. They start in our heart and they stay in our heart and they manifest in our brains. And for most of us, outwardly, we're rather welcoming. But inwardly, We can bear a heart of unhealthy, unnatural, and unbased crino. It manifests in our soul where we become judgmental of the people in our lives. And then it it settles inside of our brain. And our thought patterns and our habits. And eventually our lifestyles end up reflecting the way that we've judged and separated people And very often, those ways that we've separated people have been entirely based on initial expressions or appearances. The way somebody talked or the way they represented themselves, the way that they drove. I'm notorious for this. If you drive in a way that I feel like is inadequate, you better believe that I've crenoed you. I've judged you. I've separated you. I can be really bad at this with people who are walking through the doors of a church on a Sunday morning or someone who's walking down Main Street or someone who's going by my house during the day. I can crino you very easily. And I don't have to verbalize it because I can do it in my heart and let it settle in my brain. And this is the very type of judgment that Jesus speaks against. And then he goes on to use hyperbole and say, listen, he uses an extreme example. He says, there's a guy who had some sawdust in his eye and somebody else tried to come and help him. But that dude, I am new here. Bless. What's up? A-M-B-Z-D-1-2-5-9-0. Oh, so glad to have you. Welcome in. And he says, there was another person who came to help him, but his friend had a plank in his eye. Not long ago, I was building a rabbit hutch for my daughter's two rabbits that we got them. And I was, uh, I was cutting up some, some one-by pine in the garage with my chop saw. It's super manly. I was so manly, I did not need eye protection because my eyes are freaking tough. And so I had no need for eye protection. And sure enough, I did because there was sawdust that got in my eye. And it was driving me insane. I'm like rubbing it. and It's watering. And I'm trying to get the sawdust out of my eye. And if I had not been able to get the sawdust out of my eye, I guess what would have happened? I would have had to go get my wife to have her look in my eye to see if she could figure out where the sawdust was so that I could get it out. Now, how preposterous would it be if I came to my wife and I said, hey, honey, there's something stuck in my eye. And she turned around and the board that I had just got done cutting was lodged into her face. 
Obviously, it isn't really going to happen if my wife has a board lodged into her face. We're going to the hospital, not having her look in my eyeball. But the point is made. Jesus is making a point here that says, you, not only is it hypocritical for you to pull the speck out of your friend's eye when you have a board stuck in your own eye, not only is that hypocritical, but it's dangerous. You can't see. My wife would never be able to see the speck of sawdust in my eye if there was a board stuck in her eyes. Sometimes as Christians, we judge people when we ourselves have lives that are so messy and so screwed up and we're living in sin and we're enjoying it and we're embracing it. We're denying Christ by our lifestyle. Denying Christ by our lifestyle, the way that we live in private is, is not at all aligned with the ways and the truth and the mission of Jesus Christ. We're crucifying him again and again by the way we continue to live, but we want to remove the speck from our buddy's eye. And God said, you can't even see the speck in his eye. You don't even know that it's there. You have a board stuck in your face. Don't be a hypocrite. It, it, it's not just hypocritical, it's unethical. It's dangerous to try to remove something from a friend's eye when you can't even see what's in there. But this idea of Crino continues not just here, but throughout the Bible. We actually see it many places, but in two specific passages that I'm going to talk about tonight. The first one is in John 7, verse 24. And it says this, stop judging Crino by mere appearances, but instead judge Crino correctly. Further, in John 3.17, the very first verse after John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, it's followed by this with the word Crino. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn Crino the world, but to save the world through him. That word condemn, final judgment, is Crino. She just didn't come to Crino, you. But to save you. Here in the book of John, we see Jesus say, don't Crino unjustly or unrightly by outward appearances, but Crino the heart. Guys, we're not called to not judge. The you-do-you mentality inside of our world has caused extreme pain and harm. It's a coward's way out. I understand some situations that you don't want to be in and you just want to be out of. People that you don't want to talk to. Situations that are tense. Conflict that's rising. But you do you as a way of saying, my brothers and sisters, I don't want to be engaged in your life enough to call you to righteousness, repentance, and holiness. The gospel of Jesus Christ in the name of my Savior isn't important enough for me to call you out of your sin and into something better. I don't love you enough to help you come out of what's going on and step into something greater. You do you is a coward's approach to living holy and fully with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's a coward's approach to engaging with the world. At the same time, we all know people who are judgmental, who want to tear people down and have no love in their heart which is why we're going to close today's message with why it matters. Here at Lux, we don't believe that we should just preach messages if they don't matter. 
And so there's a reason why this matters. And each week in this series, we have a why it matters statement. And this week, why it matters is this. Judging others destroys lives when we do it wrong or don't do it at all. Judging others people's judging others destroys lives when we do it wrong or we don't do it at all. Jesus set this incredible model throughout his life. Not of disengagement, not of you do you, but of truth and love. Both things held together perfectly. He's the only one of my knowledge that's done it perfectly. But in each of Jesus' encounters with people, you see him living out truth perfectly paired with love. You see, love without truth is spineless and confusing. Love without truth is gushy, mushy, and chaos. It has very real to offer to people. It has no boundaries. It has no way to be contained. Love devoid of truth leads us to give permission to all sorts of hurt and pain and destruction. But truth without love is rigid legalism that has been used by the church to spiritually abuse people, manipulate people, and dominate them. Love without truth and truth without love. Neither of them are the answer. And we see Jesus live these two things together, truth and love, brought together in perfection. We actually see this through a passage that Chino Mage talked about last week that we're going to talk about again this week. And it, it comes to us from the book of John. There's a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and she was drugged before Jesus. And the religious leaders tell Jesus, should we stone her to death? And it's a trap set for Jesus because if Jesus says, no, don't stone her to death, then he's denying the Old Testament law and therefore can't be a prophet. And if he says, do stone her to death, then he's overcoming, then he's, he's declaring death over somebody, which only the Romans could do and could lead Jesus to being arrested and sentenced to death because it was only the Roman overrulers who were allowed to sentence somebody to death. It was a perfect situation. They drag this poor woman out onto the street and after a few words with the religious leaders, as they slowly back away, Jesus has this correspondence with her and says this, who has condemned you? The woman says, no one, sir, she said then neither do I. This is Jesus condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus doesn't come to her and say, hey, you messed up. I don't condemn you. You do you. He pairs truth in love. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. And this has continued throughout the church. The first church started this way. They emphasized the importance of holding truth and love. This was how they discipled people and they raised people up to be like Jesus. We see it in the book of Ephesians from the apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter four, where it says this, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, it says this, speaking the truth 
in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Truth and love leads to spiritual growth, vitality, maturity, repentance, a different style of living. Is you do you true to the teachings and the ways of Jesus? No. In fact, it, it runs in contradiction to it. And if you're here tonight and you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, but you do you has come out of your mouth an awful lot. And it's not just something that you say, but it's a mentality and an ideology that you live by. I want to challenge it. Because it's not Christ-like. And as followers of Jesus, we're to be striving to live like him. Jesus didn't just say, you do you and back away from conversations. He stepped into messes with truth and love. And as his followers were called to do the same exact thing. So there's plenty of judgmentalism in the world. The world is not in need in any way, shape, or form of another judgmental Christian who's Bible beating and just spouting the truth off at people outside and devoid of relationship. We don't need any more of that. We also don't need any more of boundaryless love that has no limitations, that just says you can do whatever you want despite whether or not we think that might destroy your life, despite whether or not we think it's right or wrong. It needs more people who courageously walk the line with both truth and love in hand and refuse to set down either one of them. This is how we don't end up tossed around by the waves of the world or thrown about by every teaching. Truth and love together. Are we supposed to judge? Yeah. We should be cautious when we do and not hypocritical. You need to remove the plank from your own eye first before you're ever prepared to even see, let alone remove the speck from your brothers. And when you do, Judge rightly of the things of the heart, not the clothes that people wear or the words that people use or the way that people seem to be. Let go of the crino that's embedded itself in you and manifested itself in your mind. Don't just be committed to not verbally judge. Be committed to not mentally or spiritually judge as well. And when you do, Look at people through the lens of Jesus Christ and carry both truth and love hand in hand. Let's pray. Father God, I love you and I thank you that you set a beautiful example for what it means to be your followers with both truth and love. I pray, God, that we would live that out fully in our lives. I pray that we would not judge unrightly, then when we judge, that we would judge accurately because we have indeed removed the plank from our own eye and that we've sought your face and we've heard your voice and we know your word and we've listened to your spirit. And then we carry both truth and love into conversations and into environments where we can really call people into relationship with you, into righteousness, repentance. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.